0: Hello from Austin and welcome to episode 75 of the National Security Law Podcast, brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Tuesday morning, May 22nd. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. The Mets have won four in a row. I hereby demand that we support the Mets and tomorrow we'll officially order that we support the Mets. (sighs) I hereby demand. I mean, you realize that's the title of this episode. (laughs) How could it not be? (laughs) I think we're done, right? I hereby demand that more people listen to this podcast, and tomorrow I will order that.
1: Well,. Except unlike us, who do who have no power to compel anybody else to this podcast, the
0: president actually does sort of have some power to order people in the Justice Department to do some things. Sounds like we have some topics under our familiar heading of Trumplandia.
1: Uh, uh, our other so, so I think we have three sustainable members, right? We've got Nashiri, we've got Doe versus Mass, we've got Trumplandia, and I think they are all they're all present today. present this week. That's why um, that's
0: why they get the mug,
1: Bobby. It's the third quarter quell. It's
0: episode <laughs> seventy five. <laughs> so I started to say this is like a where the victors, a semi sesquicentennial. Centennial, but it's not centennial. It's not years. We need sort of a weekly version of this. Is there a? Is there a word? What was? What was seventy? Uh, when Queen Elizabeth had her seventy-fifth
1: anniversary as queen, it was like the. Was it like the platinum jubilee? Or platinum the, jubilee or diamond jubilee? Diamond, diamond was 60.
0: fifty, right or sixty? Uh, I don't know. Whatever it is, this is our jubilee but, episode. We got a lot to talk about. We've got the Al nashiri litigation, which continues to give. Oh, uh, and then, oh, we apparently, will, platinum well, jubilee is the seventieth anniversary. Huh. All right. So some enterprising listener out, out there will know what is the uh, proper designation for the 75th. I could just
1: look it up, you know. You could, but we got a show to do. Come on, focus. Uh, oh, 75th, 75th birthday is the Diamond Jubilee. 70 or 75th? 75th. Right. Okay, wait, here we go. Uh,
0: ta, ta, ta. It's the Diamond Jubilee. All right. This is our Diamond episode. Um, we'll try to live up to that. Indeed. In between talking about Nishiri and Landia stuff, we will give some litigation updates. We don't really have... Uh, decisions to report this time, but we've got a quartet of interesting cases that are getting close to oral arguments, and so we'll preview not really the substance, but just the fact of those upcoming days. Stuff coming on. We'll, we'll mention what they are about, uh, and then after that sort of a three segment run, we're going to get to some grade. A frivolity. Frivolity. We have uh, the much-anticipated one-hit wonders episode on our hands. So,
1: so I don't know about you. I actually, I actually did some work for this episode today.
0: I, I, I have lots of thoughts. I have, I, I, made a list of my top ten and my bottom five. Okay, that's awesome. And as always, I have some thoughts on how we define the categories here. That well, I get there is also really that. interested in that.
1: Um, including, including, I'll just give one away. Can a song really be a one-hit wonder if it is a hit in multiple languages?
0: Oh, I know exactly which. Should I guess? Uh, you can guess, but you don't have to guess because you know. Uh, red balloons uh, or Luftballoon. balloon Ninety-nine Luftballoon. Ninety-nine Balloon. Yes. Uh, Nina poses a question. So my view is that it's like you know, I don't get credit for publishing two books if, if I write one and it gets published in another language. So, you know what the Russians did after the fall of the Soviet Union? So, <laughs> so the
1: the the Soviet uh, national anthem, uh-huh. right? The when the when the Soviet Union
0: fell, they kept the music they just changed the words sure, okay so you know changing the words the that's, language i don't i don't think it's something new but the the change of the words well but the words did change well, look, because okay, they, in german watch, watching the royal wedding wait wait wait, s- wait wait in german a luft balloon is
1: not a red balloon a re, a, a luft balloon is just a balloon that goes off in the air they uh, added red balloon
0: for like syllabic structure not transformative enough <laughs> not trans <laughs> that's just good translation <laughs> All right, so we have a lot to talk about there. Um, let's jump in. We've got the Al Nashiri litigation as our first item. Uh, what has... Wh- I think we better recap a little bit. Oh, Where gosh. were we in the ten layer? <laughs> Here we dip? go
1: again. Okay, so... Ah, <sighs> dear listeners, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to do this fast. Um, so remember, this all started with a dispute over allegations of interference in alnashiri's uh relationship with his lawyers and his uh, attorney-client relationship. Al Nashiri, of course, is a defendant in the Guantanamo Military Commissions who's being charged for his alleged role in the 2000 USS Cole bombing.
0: And they're afraid that there are people listening in on attorney-client communications. And they found the microphone, so they're not, you know, this is not totally baseless, right? It's, it's not baseless because there was a microphone. The government says, hey, that's that's a leftover, defunct microphone. Listen, we, you
1: and I agree that we don't know everything, right. but that there was enough smoke here to merit some kind
0: of further inquiry. Right. And so then go further into the dip. You've got people deciding that under these circumstances, they cannot uh, ethically continue in their representation.
1: So in the so three civilian lawyers resigned. Um, this, of course, or at least purported to resign. Uh, judge Spath, the presiding judge, said, no, uh, I don't th- I don't think there's good cause to resign. And I don't think it's up to General Baker, the Chief Defense counsel, to allow you to resign. Um, but that all ended when Spath said, fine, you've resigned, there's nothing I can do. I'm abating this proceeding until a superior court tells me to keep going. So the government filed an appeal to the CMCR, the Court of Military Commission Review, to try to get to the bottom of this. And two of the three Former civilian lawyers tried to intervene in the appeal because, hey, if the government's going to win, then presumably these guys are going to be dragged yeah. back onto the case. Seemed like real parties in interest here. I would have thought. All right. So here's where things get messy. The government initially opposed their intervention, and the CMCR summarily denied their intervention but said, hey, you know what? You can participate as a Mickey, <laughs> but don't refer to yourself as former civilian lawyers because that might prejudice us. Okay. Okay, that, that's, not the, that's not the harshest thing I have to say about the CMCR in this I episode. I suspect not. Um, the two lawyers then took an appeal to the D.C. Circuit, and we talked last week about the, Bobby, pretty sweeping and interesting order that the D.C. Circuit issued on Friday, May 11th, basically asking the parties to brief what the heck was going on and of most importance, I think, to this current iteration, asking the government to basically provide a full factual accounting of everything that happened to the D.C. Circuit. Um, as we speculated on last week's episode, the government was not too happy with having to provide said accounting, and so they took the step that I predicted they might take, which is they reversed their position in the CMCR on intervention, i.e. the thing that had gotten this into the D.C. Circuit.
0: So it was it seems to me pretty foreseeable they were going to lose on this, and so lose it, on what on the intervention issue on on that particular. Oh yes, issue, oh the DC circuit was going to rule against us. Yeah, exactly. So here they are looking at this thing like we're going to lose this, and in the meantime now we're going to have to f- speed forward on all these layers of these issues and and basically put into the DC circuit's hands. Uh, the all this actual background. Well, and, and, and may get a ruling from all the way up to the top of the chain right now. Which and, you and I have been saying for weeks is desperately needed. Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I was very excited that the D.C. Circuit yes. was moving so aggressively. But I can't say I'm remotely surprised that having looked at the hand they, they were playing and including seen, By
1: the way, including the panel in the D.C. Circuit, which oh, is exactly. not exactly pro-government. No,
0: exactly. So they looked at this and they thought, what are we doing? Okay, quit fighting the intervention. You can almost imagine that maybe somewhere – Internally, there was some debate going on about whether to oppose the intervention. Someone said, yeah, let's oppose it because let's it's litigation. Let's oppose everything. And at this point, someone said, you know what? That's wise, pound foolish. Let's, uh, let's get this issue off the table and thereby avoid a circumstance where suddenly every single one of these issues gets resolved all the way in quickly at the so, D.C. Circuit listen, level. I
1: totally understand why the government thought that. That's yeah. fine. But here's what they actually told the CMCR. So they file in the CMCR... A basically explanation of their change in position. Hmm. Um, And what they tell the CMCR is that, um, guys, so, you know, as you know, we previously opposed um, intervention. I want to get this quote exactly right. Um, While categorically denying many averments of these two attorneys, and while conceding neither the applicability of their analysis nor the merits of any issues raised in their brief, nor the merits of any issues raised in future filings in this case, the appellant seeks speedy resolution of this interlocutory appeal. Okay, come the f on if you sought speedy <laughs> resolution of this interlocutory appeal why did you oppose intervention in the first place provoking the appeal to the DC circuit this is not why you're changing your position you don't you, this is not about speedy resolution of the interlocutory appeal this is about you're scared of the DC circuit you've been caught you know off guard and this is the position that you are taking now to try to avoid the DC circuit
0: but are you saying they should have said that in the filing <laughs> I'm saying that, like, if that's your best Because, actually, that would have been an awesome filing. I would have loved that. We're scared <laughs> of the D.C. Circuit. You're like, we were not really expecting you to grab so many issues. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go over here and try to avoid you Listen, now.
1: But that's... I mean, that's what they... I mean, read it between the lines, That's what this is. Sure, look, I, look
0: I, I think... I guess... I totally get why that irks you so much. I guess I maybe I'm too jaded, but I just think, well, of course they, they say something that's not the actual underlying reasons because the underlying reasons are not the sort of things anyone ever is going to say to a court. Okay,
1: but but so 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 now let me ask you. So you're the CMCR, okay? Which by the way would be a dramatic improvement. Like,
0: wait, um, for, for, not for
1: me. No, but for the for the rest of us. Well, I, I'd miss you. All right. Oh, thanks. You can do the job from here. Actually, they don't ever go to Guantanamo. <laughs> All right. So the government had made a big deal, like a month ago about opposing intervention in the CMCR, right? They come back to you and say, oh, CMCR, we changed our mind. By the way, we have no explanation for why our grounds for opposing intervention that you agreed with back in, you know, what in March, right? We have no explanation for what's changed,
0: yeah. right? Well, they'll they'll understand, like, everyone's going to understand what has happened here.
1: Yeah, but if you're the CMCR, don't you maybe feel like, you know, you're, you don't want to get played by the government here?
0: I, I do think that when you have these types of moves, inevitably, you, you burn a little bit of credibility. It raises the question, like, how much credibility is there in the system after a long train of challenges and complications? But... Um, do, do, I, don't you at least maybe sort of critique the government for its 11th hour change in position and then telling you that it's about speeding up the interlocutory appeal? I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see. It, I'm not sure what the venue would be where a, a member of the CMCR could zing them for this. But I think there's a zinger in prospect. But I suppose I just don't see once it got to this stage, it's all, it's all well and good to say, well, they shouldn't oppose the intervention to begin with, which is right, because I think, I think this – outcome was foreseeable, and they wasted a lot of credibility and time, etc. Well, doing and also, this. and the next time the government
1: whines about plaintiffs' forum shopping and judge shopping, I mean, give me a break, right? Like, this is exactly what this was. You, you know, once you got a bad order from a bad panel in the D.C. Circuit, you cut your losses.
0: Yeah, I guess I just think it boils down to a to question of how jaded you are about it. So I'm, I'm very about, jaded. I am I think I'm more jaded than you are, because you you seem more surprised by, by these sort of games. I think that these are... At a certain level of abstraction, kind of par for the course. Listen, I'm not surprised by the games.
1: I'm surprised by the CMCR's complete unwillingness to call it for what it is. So here's what they actually wrote. So the CMCR on Friday, I think that's, yes, Friday. So the CMCR on Friday issued an order um, where they say, first... Under US CMCR Rule of Practice 1C, our court may suspend the time restrictions in our Rule 20A regarding motions to intervene. And we do so in this instance. No explanation for why, right? The untimeliness of the, okay. Upon reconsideration, we vacate our March 21st order and treat the motion to intervene as seeking permissive intervention. Never mind that they were seeking intervention as of as right. right, which which they seem to clearly qualify for. Well, but CFT doesn't even give them that, yeah. right? So the government comes, fo- the government comes back to CFT as says, guys. We
0: screwed up. We no longer oppose intervention. CFT's like, well, we still don't really want them to intervene, but we'll help you out. It is. Does seem it seems a little bit passive aggressive to give them uh, intervention by permission rather than as of right. But does anything turn on that? Um. So maybe until we get back to the D.C.
1: Circuit. So there's one more piece to this. But in doing so, we've given careful consideration to the government's motion and letter filed in our court and the responses filed by, you know, Spears and Eliotis. A key issue in the appeal is, and then they explain all of the reasons why they should have granted intervention (laughs) in the first place. Right. Ms. Elias and Ms. Spears have established good cause to permissively intervene in this interlocutory appeal. Right. And all that was apparent before. Right. No mention of the fact that they found exactly the opposite back in March. Well, I, I always want it when if, people... If it's, just, if it's just because... Listen, if it's just because the government... They were waiting for the government to concede, fine. Say that, right? We denied intervention because the government opposed it. The government no
0: longer opposes it. Therefore, we grant it. Can they say that without looking foolish? That is, you and I this might... This doesn't ag- look foolish? You and I might agree that the best explanation was that they were simply deferring to the government on this, but that's not something you can actually say, right? I mean, that's not a legitimate grounds to actually okay, cite. Okay, but this is like... it's. This is so transparently, obviously not what was... Anyway, okay. Right, but... but well, again, like, what were they supposed to do at this stage? I don't want to knock them too if hard I'm for, the coming, for coming to the right decision. I don't want to knock them too right. hard now, even if I do want to criticize what they did initially. So here's the problem.
1: I haven't seen the government's original brief opposing intervention because it's still undergoing a security review.
0: <laughs> which is itself pretty funny. Indeed. I'd be mean, like, oh, my God, the grounds on which you're opposing intervention are classified? Okay. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's something weird in there. But if so, like, why why can they rule now? Right. So,
1: so I don't know what the government's original arguments were. I would expect a self-respecting court to at least acknowledge, right, that based on prior arguments made by a party, they
0: ruled in one direction and are now changing their mind. <laughs>
1: there's nothing in there to that effect.
0: Yeah. Look, uh, there's it, there's nothing to reconcile it. It's clearly intention, but uh, but it's in the right order. Like no, listen, it, it's, it's better than the
1: reverse. We're, we're in the we end up, we end up in the right place. Yeah. But only but but after. Um, This all started in early March. Only like
0: basically nearly
1: after three months
0: of completely unnecessary liquidation. So this is true to kind of go back, circling out to the larger picture. This is true about many layers in the dip. There are many of these layers that are a huge waste of time. And and to press the analogy a little bit further, it makes it really hard when you add in 10 total layers. It makes it really hard to eat the damn dip. It does make it hard to eat the dip. Uh, All of the DC Circuit
1: tried. All right. So um, yesterday, the DC Circuit... Um, you know, not surprisingly found that because of the CMCR's reversal, the appeal is now moot. But here's what's interesting. You asked whether there's a difference between permissive intervention and intervention as of right. There There actually is at the margins, but here's what the D.C. Circuit says. Um, The United States Court of Military Commission Review has granted petitioners motion to intervene, stating, quote, they may participate in the appeal before us as sought by their motion, close quote. Because that court places no limitations on petitioners' claims or status as parties, there's no further interlocutory relief this court could grant at this procedural juncture. The DC Circuit is basically construing the CMCR's order as granting permission as of right. And it's basically telling the CMCR, don't you dare um, short-circuit or not allow Spears and Eliadis to participate as full
0: parties in what's about to happen. I see. So let me see if I track that right. Yeah. I think your explanation at the end crystallized it, but – it seemed at first like uh, a meaningless distinction. Uh, intervention There are a some ride. technical
1: differences about like what, what – so do you have a right, to, for example, to participate in an argument or do you need leave of court? Do you have a right to you know, appeal yeah. or do you need leave of court? So they got
0: the second-class version of yes. intervention. But you're saying that the way the D.C. Circuit wrote its uh, vacature order uh, suggests – it's like a shot across the bow. Do not – skimp on the access they have as parties.
1: Right. This. We the diesel good said we understand that the CM we understand you CMCR despite what you said, to have actually granted them all the relief they were seeking. Interesting.
0: All right, so any action that the court may then take below that seems to limit them is gonna get so some... potentially creates another damn layer in the
1: dip. But here so so just to be clear, right? I mean so so now this all finally goes back to the CMCR after two and a half months of, you know, appellate Michigas yeah. With no, with, with, and we're no closer to resolving. Yeah.
0: Any of the layers. So, what is the layer that's before the court? Is it the abatement question? Is it possible in the first instance to even have interlocutory appeal of an abatement decision? That, so, there's
1: the jurisdictional question, and yep. then there's
0: the, assuming we have the power to review Judge Spath's abatement order. Then they can finally take up the.
1: Yes, although as you know, I am nervous. That the CMCR thinks it's only que- the only question it's supposed to decide is whether Spath was right that he and not Baker had the power to dismiss the attorneys. You want them to go to another layer. I want what them else? to go to the. I want them to go all the way merits? to the bottom. I wanted them to dig down and say, and oh, by the way, was there sufficient reason, right? Yeah. Um, was – even if Spath's the right decision maker, yeah. was he actually wrong in finding no good cause given the allegations of interference?
0: Did he hold an evidentiary hearing?
1: Um, I, he held a hearing with – I mean he held a hearing on, on the record, yeah. I think um, – if I recall, General Baker refused to testify at that hearing, which is part of what led to the contempt citation.
0: Yeah, one can one can imagine, as much as I share your interest in just resolving all this, I can imagine them issuing a ruling that basically says like, look, here's what further findings need to be made and, yeah. here, and here's a better view of what the standards are and whose authority is which. Like, they could clarify, for example, the Spath or Baker gets the last word, I think Spath, but they might but say if, Baker. But if they say Spath, Spath has already
1: ruled. And so yeah, for the CMCR to it. say, so for the CMCR to say, okay, Spath, yes, you were the right person to rule and then not Say whether his ruling was actually correct or not.
0: Right. No, I would
1: think they'd have to at least. So do I. Standard of review: abuse of discretion. No, it's a question of i mean it's a question of law, right? Whether good cause existed under the relevant regulations to justify the dismissal of the But lawyers. there are
0: underlying questions of fact that went into it.
1: So the factual determinations presumably would get abuse of discretion, except they're yeah. all classified, so we have no idea what they are. No,
0: but they'll know. I mean they'll it, we, you and I will have a hard time commenting right. on it, but so, they'll so, so this leads me to
1: sort of two big takeaway points. So one is once again, your favorite court and mine, the C M C R has covered itself in glory, right? I mean, you know I just Ugh. Okay, but two and more importantly, <laughs> um, let's, all, let's not forget, right, that when the Supreme Court denied cert in Nishiri 2 back in October, right, on the question of whether they should entertain a pretrial challenge to the subject matter jurisdiction of a military commission, they denied cert in the face of a majority opinion by the D.C. Circuit and briefing by the Solicitor General that said, no, 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 this is all going to be resolved expeditiously.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, expeditiously.
1: Right? Come on, people. I mean, t- you know, I-, I don't care what side you're on. Look at what's going on right now and uh, tell no. me that this is expeditious.
0: No, you're preaching to the choir here. I, I know I am. I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to somebody. Well, somehow You're talking I, back through time at the, at the court. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. Um so that was the that was the fun that was Al Nashiri. It will certainly be back next week, I don't doubt. Or okay. or maybe I, I We I, might have a week off. We gotta do more predictions. Yeah, we may have a week off. Because uh, this now this now goes to the I mean presumably right. Yeah, now. there's gonna be a little quiet time on Nashiri. I bet maybe something else. There's a there's a conservation of matter type principle with the Military <laughs> Commission. So if Nashiri goes quiet, Maybe the KSM trial is going to heat up in some dimension.
1: I mean, just to be clear, so so the next thing that now should happen is Spears and Eliotis are now entitled to file briefs yeah. in the CMCR okay. on the government's appeal. So they got to write those – they probably have those briefs, right. but there's got to be a schedule. And then presumably – no, there's a schedule. I think they're due early June. And then I think the, the next thing after that is the CMCR – decides the government's appeal and boy is that going to be a thing you
0: know they don't have a track record of quickly issuing decisions either which just adds to the 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 delay the
1: cmcr
0: were neither quick nor often affirmed there you (laughs) there's a bumper sticker for you (laughs) should we talk about some other courts let's we've got some litigation updates these are not uh going to be dives into the merits but rather just no, what's happening. Nor things that have quite gotten me as riled up as 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 what happened in this uh, year. We'll see. Yeah, I guess. So there's one thing here that actually, might. Okay, actually, okay. there's one, that's I'm sorry. One, it's got us I both spoke to Riled, too up. Soon. riled uh, up. All right, so this is docket report. Docket report. Um do we, we, we need music for our docket report? Oh, you know, if, if for for those with little kids out there, I don't you yours Maddie's probably not old enough to be uh, watching things like the uh, um, there, there's a kids show where there's this song Creature Report. Creature, report, Uh, I think it's the, uh, what are they called? Listeners who have little kids, help me out here. It's like the Aquanauts or something. It's too too,
1: too, bad for us. Duck it, report,
0: duck it, report. I was thinking more like the morning report from Lion King. (laughs) <laughs> this is the docket report. See, the one hit wonders theme has got us thinking musically. Totally. All right, your docket report consists of four updates. Doe v. Mattis. Um, Other sustaining member. Uh, definitely a sustaining member. So, uh, we actually, as far as I know, don't have any new information about whether the government is going to seek either Enbonk review or CERT. Challenging the D.C. Circuit panel decision denying the right to transfer John and a, Doe and upholding Judge Chutkin's injunction against transferring Doe mm-hmm. to
1: Country A or Country B. But the clock's
0: got to be ticking on that, so right? so it's ninety so make, days, right? I
1: mean, for for cert, it's nine.
0: I I I think it's shorter for on banc. but for yeah, on-bank. I thought was I thought that was the ten-day rule. No, no, no. Yeah? no okay, so we got so plenty of time still to sort that out. But
1: nine. I mean, it's ninety for cert,
0: so that would yeah. that would put us ten all days the way. for just rehearing by the I panel. I think that's right. Yeah, I think we're probably not going to see. rehearing. No, no, no,
1: no. I mean, no. Um, ninety for cert. I think pushes us into July.
0: Yeah, okay, so we're watching that. Now meanwhile, the status quo is that everything hinges on the merits, both because The the merits are still waiting to be addressed, and because the transfer decision itself holds open the prospect that, of course, you can transfer him if you win the merits. So so just right, and the merits
1: being: Is John Doe a dual Saudi-U.S. citizen picked up in Syria and held in Iraq, properly detained as an enemy combatant insofar as the AUMF of 2001 applies to ISIS?
0: And even if it does, do the facts support the government's theory? Exactly. And here's a critical point: Um, the merits had been chugging along before the arrival of the transfer (laughs) issue. This is chugging might be. a little bit speedier than the chugging has this kind of labor trugging, quality tr- trudging along yeah they were trudging along now here's a key thing the uh, the merits briefing uh, by john doe's lawyer's choice it's bifurcated in the sense that they are only for the moment litigating or queuing up the litigation for the legal issue that is accepting as true the government's claims about who john doe was and what he was doing that is that he was a willing islamic state fighter Uh, Does the government have authority to detain him under the AUMF, given the Islamic State is not, strictly speaking, al-Qaeda, and John Doe is an American citizen? Those are the legal issues. They're reserving, or they're purporting to reserve the ability to challenge the factual issues at the next stage if it comes to that. So the legal issue has been fully briefed. For months. For a long time. Wait, and and let's just be clear, right?
1: Doe has been in detention since September. September, Right, and the ACLU has been clear to represent him since December. So, of course, Judge Chuckkin's in a big old hurry to decide the merits,
0: right, Bobby? So, on May 15th, she issued a scheduling order for uh, a hearing on the merits. It, it, oh, oh, a, a scheduling order for a hearing on the merits on May 15th? I'm sure that's going to be soon.
1: Right. Well, June 20th, not quite soon, a month and five days. I'm going to have another daughter by the time this hearing happens. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean... No, this in fairness, just does...
0: you're close to having another daughter, but I agree completely. <laughs> you and I both, our reaction was... Uh, oh great! Uh, I think we saw the tweet. You know, various people were, were highlighting that the documentary showed a hearing had been scheduled, but why a month and a half if it's already fully briefed? Ugh. So that shows again not quite the sense of urgency one would expect. I mean, just to be clear, right? So, and the reason why. I think I especially—Bobby uh, is more convinced on what the merits answer is. Oh, yeah, so I think the government wins. Right. But I think we're illustrating that wherever you are in the merits— You ought to want some kind of decision. Well, and, and it's not okay in the case of a citizen detainee to just let it gradually go along like it's a, some commercial dispute. Right, because what this means
1: is that, you know, even a senior judge Chuckin rules quickly, and there's nothing that has happened in this litigation yet to suggest that that's likely, right? Even if she rules quickly, that means that more than nine months— Will have elapsed between when Doe was initially detained and when the very, very, very first of what is surely not the last judicial ruling yeah.
0: on the merits of his detention is handed down. That to me is unacceptable. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. That's and and you and I don't have the same views on the merits, no, no. but we agree on that. that it, it is absolutely. It needs to move much faster. Yeah. Than yeah I mean, I you know, I mean, you and I have
1: talked about how. You know, it's a hard question. Just how soon a citizen has a right to some kind of judicial hearing in this context? Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I don't think either of us are claiming that back in September
1: there should have been a ruling. No, no, no. But you know, certainly not forty-eight hours, but also not nine months. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. And then of course it's going to go up on appeal, no matter what she rules. Right. Right. Especially, I mean, especially if the government's power to transfer him becomes, you know, becomes sort of coterminous. Right, with the merits, presumably if the if she says, yes, Bobby, you're right, the government can hold him, all of a sudden the appeal becomes doubly important, not just because of the underlying merits question, but because whether he can be transferred could then turn on the merits question.
0: So completely baseless speculation, they'll, they'll hear, hear the argument uh, in late June, get an opinion late, August, July. late July, early August. Uh, then there will be this period where uh, the the appeal starts to percolate. Argument you know, in the D.C. Circuit, maybe
1: November, December.
0: Yeah, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say it's October, um, and a ruling out of the D.C. Circuit. Who knows? December, January. That's too late. That's and too then, late. That's
1: too late to get to the Supreme Court next term.
0: And then you've got 30 days, I guess, to decide about en banc review, which could easily happen, or 90 days, maybe for cert. Um, you know, we're talking 2020 before a final decision. Yep. Okay, good times. Um, (laughs) uh, Another case, this one arising out of Abu Ghraib. We have people who are Iraqis who were held at Abu Ghraib who are bringing a variety of claims against the contractors, the private military contractor company, um, the corporate successor, I think, at this point. is is Al-Shamari versus Khaki Khaki. International.
1: This case has been going on forever. I mean, this has been to the Fourth Circuit four times already. This is a
0: bleak house type deal. I
1: actually teach, I think it's Al-Shamari one. The first Fourth Circuit ruling on interlocking, t- the first day of federal courts I actually start my students with um, the On Bong decision in Alshamari 1 because it's like a case about torture and whether federal courts should be making federal common law to display state law, where it's all sort of baked into a dispute over the scope of interlocutory appellate jurisdiction. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's like, think. welcome to Fed Courts, (laughs) people.
0: This is how we roll. I won't ask about the ad drops on the next day. Well, why do you think I start with Al (laughs) Oh, And why do you think I taught on Friday? Yeah, indeed. Um, You got to want to be there. (laughs) Well, so we've already had um, a recent, we had a very recent ruling, I think, from Judge Brinkema dismissing some of the claims but preserving others, but there's been an intervening event, which you'll talk about in a second, and now there's a uh, motion now scheduled on a new motion to dismiss, or oral argument set for June 15th. So we've got some al-Shamari action coming up, and it has to do with Jesner. What happened here, Steve? All right, so just to back up one second
1: before we get to Jesner, right, so the plaintiff's claims, Bobby, in this case generally arise under the alien tort statute. Um, there are a couple of other claims, but it's mostly alien tort statute and other sort of state and and foreign tort law theories. The Judge Brinkema, in an important ruling earlier this year that we talked about, denied the motion to dismiss in part um, with regard to whether torture was a sufficiently clearly established tort to be actionable under the alien tort statute. Then the Supreme Court came along in Jesner, which we talked about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We need like a list of like what was on each episode. It's much
0: better to contradict ourselves.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Some time ago, we talked about the Supreme Court's, I think, late April decision in Jesner versus Arab Bank where by a five to four vote, the court held that you can never um, sue a foreign corporation under the alien tort statute. Now, of course, Khaki International is not a foreign corporation. Domestic. It's a domestic corporation. But the defendants are arguing that the reasoning of Jesner, even though it was limited in its terms to foreign corporations, also applies to preclude alien tort suits against U.S. corporations operating overseas. Hmm all right so a potential further chip away at, at the alien. well and yeah. so i mean this is we talked about this when we talked about Jesner i mean what was interesting about Jesner is Jesner was you know, it was presented to the court as a case about corporate liability writ large. It was argued to the court as a case about corporate liability writ large. Right, but the court tried to neck
0: it but down. But Justice
1: Kennedy went narrower. And yeah. so Al Shamari is the perfect example, at least in my view, of the case that the question presented would have covered, but not the opinion yeah.
0: Justice Kennedy wrote. Right. Well, and, I, you know, he, he obviously. Could have and did anticipate this, obviously wanted to see it percolate more. It looks like we have a really interesting case that's going to cause it to percolate real quick. Yeah, well, maybe
1: maybe, maybe real quick, maybe not. I mean, if Judge Brinkman denies the motion to dismiss, it's not clear to me that that's immediately appealable. That's right. Um, no, in fact,
0: I would think, I would certainly think not.
1: Well, I mean, she can certify it under 1292B. Yeah, but what are the chances?
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, slim, not zero, yeah. not zero. I agree with that. Okay, all right. So that's two of them. What else is cooking out there? Remember Hamidoulin? This is that the guy. Speaking the, of speaking of the Fourth Circuit, sp- indeed. Last week was sort of D.C. Circuit week. This week we're more Fourth Circuit. Hamidoulin was our uh, Taliban, Afghan Taliban detainee uh, with the fascinating background, Russian citizen. <clears throat> who was arguing and, and generated a really interesting Fourth Circuit opinion that we had missed initially. And in a prior episode, we talked at great length about how it sort of wrestled with questions of combatant immunity and privilege and all the rest. Um, suffice to say that the uh, the guy is seeking en banc review. Government's uh, brief is due a week from today. Uh, I am very doubtful that this is going to go anywhere, but you never know. They're trying the en banc route. And then last um, yet another thing arising out of Guantanamo habeas cases. Um, it, uh, some time ago, I guess it was back in maybe February or so, there was a large group of detainees, maybe 11 total current detainees. Who sought to renew their habeas petitions, mm-hmm. um, and it was kind of styled. It, it really bugged me. They styled it as. It a, really did bug a, you. Yeah, well, because it's not because mass. It's a. It's not the right word for it. They, it was in the PR documents. It was described as a mass filing of habeas cases. Well, eleven detainees um, could be described that way, I suppose. Uh, these are all people with existing petitions that have been resolved against them previously, but they're trying to renew them for various reasons. I don't think anyone thinks there's a great deal of prospect for these cases, but you never know. Um, they They could raise all sorts of interesting issues. They're in front of a bunch of different judges, and we haven't really talked about it since, but there's been some action, but not yet a ruling. What's happened is that Most of those detainees who were in front of different judges, they've all been consolidated in front of Judge Hogan. Uh, And Judge Hogan has scheduled oral argument on the merits of their claim for July 11th. So Mm. one week after the 4th of July, you can tune in for action there. We'll be covering that. Meanwhile, two of the judges kept their detainees judge sullivan and judge leon kept the cases and didn't turn them over to judge hogan which means that we could get all sorts of divisions amongst them as they begin to rule although i actually suspect that in the end they'll all rule in similar fashion Uh, judge sullivan as far as i can tell hasn't taken any action to schedule an argument judge leon held his argument way back in march 23rd so i would say based on the passage of two months um we can expect any day now to get a ruling out of judge leon uh presumably before judge hogan can rule and, and Sure, looks like before Judge Sullivan. So watch that space too. Um, it's kind of complicated to figure out what's the what's the right uh, caption for that case. Albahani seems to be the lead. It's a little complicated because they're in front of different judges, but Albahani's is the main way to look at it. Okay, and we're also
1: still waiting for the D.C. Circuit's ruling in Al Alwi, which might yes. actually bear
0: directly on some of the claims raised in those cases. E- exactly so. So uh, never a dull moment at Guantanamo. Um, speaking of places where there's never a dull moment, there is never a dull moment in that place we call Trumplandia. Oy. Uh, it's been quite a the, – the last couple of days have been quite a month. <laughs> the last couple of months have been quite years. It's like Spock in Star Trek too. Okay. Okay. Um, Trumplandia, we've oh, got... Oh, minutes could seem like hours. Ah, good, good, good. <laughs> I just can't think that out there. I figured you'd pick it up. Or, or, is, it, or is it hours could seem like days? days yeah. Or days could seem like... I don't know. Was- the, the point is when your communications yes. are being monitored, like on this podcast... General you know? Order 46 or whatever
1: it is, right? When, you know... Uh, no, Is that order, right? Is it General Order 15? That'd be an impressive... When communications
0: are being monitored, <laughs> right? And, uh, That's right, Mr. Savick. Okay. Um, Trumplandia, we've got... Um, in. A collection of issues all intertwined around the larger ongoing attempt by the White House to keep fuel on the fire that uh, tries to delegitimize the Mueller investigation in particular and more generally the whole idea that there was – um, anything untoward with the Trump campaign or that foreign powers were trying to assist the Trump victory. So it's, it's, a, it's a legitimacy of the presidency type protection project. We all know the ins and outs of it. The latest developments are kind of fascinating uh, in a couple of respects. You have a concerted effort by a lead sled dog, Devin Nunes, to try to out the identity of someone who was working as a confidential informant for the FBI, and, uh, and then you have this name coming out, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then you have the president's uh, reaction, and then the way that the Justice Department responded, which I think we agree was a pretty clever move in mm-hmm. a very difficult circumstance. Uh, Steve, where do we begin with this crazy set of topics? I don't even know. I mean,
1: all right. So, so start at the beginning. I mean, I think we we should start with the big picture, which is it seems like what is clearly going on here is an effort to delegitimize the special counsel's investigation.
0: Sure. Right. No question and about And that,
1: that and that this is all part of this effort to build a narrative that. The special counsel's investigation is illegitimate; that it's biased; that it's all these things. Um, and the president has been, I think, front and center in trying to push the theory that the latest proof of its illegitimacy is the fact that the that, that President Obama, all but himself, right, placed an informant deep in a spy,
0: right, deep inside the Trump campaign for political purposes. So let's let's kind of start with this framing. We can't, I can't resist. Let's bring in what Trump actually says, right? So he tweets out yes. yesterday. I hereby demand. In a tweet yeah. is an official Twitter account, right? No official business here. I hereby demand. <laughs> demand. And, You're just trying to get under my skin today. Yeah, yeah. It's more fun this way. <laughs> uh, and, and tomorrow we'll officially order uh, that DOJ and FBI investigate themselves for what they may have done to try to submarine my campaign in 2016. So first question for you, Steve, uh, let's, let's try to do it in slices. The first question, I think, is uh, a recusal question. I mean, Sessions is recused from this topic. So why do we see the president engaged on the topic when, when it's entirely about him? And then uh, beyond the recusal topic, then there's – I think it's helpful to step back and say, okay – in the abstract, if this was like sort of a directive, to, I, I hereby demand right. that the Justice Department investigate opioid manufacturers for their role in yep. you know America's crisis. It may be that that's entirely fine in the abstract. Then there's the question of okay, but as applied to this fact pattern, is this okay? Right. And, and is it? Are we talking about a law violation or just or norms and right. customs or?
1: So I want, uh, let me try to take some four layers. All okay. right. So let's stop at the very, very top, which is, is: is it ever appropriate for the president to demand the Justice Department to do anything? Right. Right. I um, mentioned that is sure. He's it, the president. It has to be right.
0: The, they work for the him. The executive power yes. is all and only yes. vested in that office.
1: So if the president said, I, I mean, I, I don't like the wording. I hereby demand, but I think like yeah. we're past the point of like trifling over you know words, right? If the president says, I am setting a enforcement priority for the Justice Department to go after, I don't know, school shootings, right? Or, right. you know, opioid right. epidemic o- or
0: or, or mirror image it. I as an enforcement priority setting, I hereby demand DOJ not devote resources to enforcing fill in the blank with some right. particular right. Law. drug laws, right? I mean that's right. I mean
1: that that's what Obama did with with marijuana, right? Um you know People can have their policy views about whether that's wise or not, but of course it's within the president's prerogative. So at the top-down level, yes, the Justice Department works for the president. Okay. That's layer number one. Layer number two, can the president order the Justice Department to directly commence a specific criminal investigation abstract, right? I hereby demand that the Justice Department open a criminal investigation into that Vladek character, Exactly. So legally... Right. I see no problem. Right. I see no constitutional reason why the president can't do that. I see no statute barring him from doing that. It is an incredibly problematic breach of longstanding norms about the independence of the
0: Justice Department's prosecutorial function. It's interesting if we're talking only at the abstract level here, which is the critical distinction yeah. for me. If we're talking about whether that type of action or order should be given in relation to one's well, no, political so we'll get, enemies, we'll, we'll, get, we'll there. get to that. But if we're talking about the abstract, yeah. it is certainly out of the customary norms of what actually happens. I'm not sure how problematic it is in principle. We're just used to this because we live in a modern system in which the executive branch is huge and the president makes very few line decisions. You
1: know, but but, but, hold on a second, but I think there's also a difference between, but it's also what he's demanding, right? So if the president were to say, I demand the Justice Department, you know, um, look into, right, this fact pattern, right? So um, there was a school shooting outside of Houston um, earlier the, uh, mm-hmm. over the weekend yeah. or Friday, Friday, I believe, yes. right? Um, you know. I, I, so imagine the president says, I demand that the FBI open a full sweeping investigation into this incident,
0: right? Totally fine. Well, what if what if, to, what if there was a story about the Santa Fe shooting that said that there was a, a, a leak? I don't think this was part of the story, but yeah. let's imagine that there was a, a story widely circulated that some particular store had illegally sold a gun in some circumstance. And the president tweeted, I demand that my Justice Department investigate this allegation that, you know, fill in the blank. Right. Sold this guy illegally. So, again, invest. I, I, I get nervous when we get specific, right? Incidents, fine,
1: allegations. And here's why, right? Because the problem is, is that the line between this layer and the next layer, which you just alluded to, is very blurry, right? So the next layer is if it is okay generally for the president to direct the Justice Department to prosecute or at least investigate specific people, right, um, why is it not okay for those people to just be his enemies, Right? What is the what is the legal or or f- prudential constraint on uh, that? That, distinction? that seems
0: self evident to me, and I assume it is to you as well. Right? Which is why which is why I get off the train at later too. Right? You, like you would like it kind of as a rule, as a prophylactic rule, just correct. the president doesn't get into this correct. at all. Not
1: because I think not because I think there's anything actually deeply yeah. constitutionally offensive. About the president saying go pro- go investigate Vladik? Indeed, I don't think there can be. No, but because I worry that you know if if the president has that authority, if we if we customize uh, customize, if we standardize that authority, then what would
0: stop the president from saying okay, go after Hillary? Yeah. So I, my view is he's got that authority for very sound practical reasons. It's been. It's it's not normally done. It may never have been practically done. Although I bet if we go back far enough, when the government was thin enough and how it was resourced, mm-hmm. it was it was not when there, so was, when there was one lawyer, the exactly. <laughs> attorney general. So I actually think that probably it's not that unusual as a stroke matter. But what is manifestly, I think, self-evidently inappropriate is when someone is charging the justice Department to conduct investigations. In a context where it's pretty darn obvious, that's this is political. about going up to your political enemies and it's political and or your own and or, and or your own political benefit. And, and so this is, but this is intertwined with the recusal issue. So Sessions is recused from this investigation because right. he had some degree of involvement uh, with, with some of the key events. Well, if that's right, if he is properly recused, then right. surely, a fortiori, the the president should recuse himself from whatever. <laughs> now- I don't think – this is where it gets interesting. Are we talking about legal constraints, constitutional no. constraints? I think we're talking about norms right. and what is best and, and what is good government, what's moral. Yeah, yeah. Which the president is short on.
1: Um, so, so all right. So, because you and I can completely agree that somewhere between the second and third layer is a bright line, right? right? right. I would draw the line before the second layer because it's easier to administer that way. Yeah. But at the very least, I think we agree you certainly, as the president – Should not, whether or not you legally are allowed to, um, use your power over the Justice Department to order investigations that are clearly for political purposes, either to disadvantage your political enemies or to benefit your own
0: political... Whatever. And, and again, res ipso locator. This is this is self-evident. It speaks for itself. But,
1: but wholly apart from the obvious reason why that's problematic, I think there's a deeper reason why it's problematic, which is in the long term, the damage that does to the credibility of the Justice Department in cases with no political valence that it could be corrupted for political
0: purposes Calls into question, you know, the the presumption of regularity exists for a reason. Oh, of course. Look, I think that uh, the cost of the self serving behavior here are manifest and we're going to be paying it for a long time. There's
1: a fourth layer, right? Yes, there is. So the fourth layer is even if you're okay so far, then there's the layer of ordering the Justice Department, demanding the Justice Department to investigate the people who are investigating you.
0: Right? Which is like a whole different problem. Right, it just it's it's an even more obvious and acute example. And and this is a good time to remind ourselves that transgression of norms, like you know, so much else that's yes. provocative and frustrating about the president, transgression of norms from his perspective is a feature, not a bug. I understand that, but like there there ought to be greater pushback from
1: not just Democrats so it doesn't look like partisan there are, you know where are I'm not talking I'm not looking at you, I'm not looking at Jack where are the Republicans in Congress and in government saying this is not appropriate behavior Mr. president
0: yeah I know one of the things that I think is besides most remarkable, Jeff flake. flake said it this morning there's there's a, a great uh, thread. Marty Lederman gets in on Twitter in response to the Lawfare podcast very excellent discussion of these issues from last night. If I'm rem- remembering right, Marty talks about how there's a real difference between uh, where the GOP institutionally, the the, yep. the elected GOP members in Washington, where they are in response to what's going on with Trump now, versus what happened in the '70s with Nixon, yep. where you know Nixon had a, a relatively popular president had just been reelected. Yep. And as soon as these sorts of things came out, he, as soon as he started transgressing things like the Saturday, Saturday Night Massacre, yeah. uh, the the Congress, the GOP Congress, turned on him. Well, very quickly to a point. I mean, I mean, so it's, compared to now, compared to now. I mean, so compared I don't want to oversell now. it. I mean, so so Nixon still
1: had you know deep popularity within Republican members of Congress, even as late as the, the Supreme Court yeah. decision. But it wasn't unanimous, right? And so there were clear voices. There were clear voices on the Republican side of the yeah. aisle, right, calling for you know. Um, um, Condoning, you know, uh, condemning the president's behavior, criticizing the president, right, Um, pushing for further congressional efforts to constrain the president, and there's none of that. And
0: and, and of course, this is intertwined with the fact that I think I haven't researched this, but I'm sure this is true: the electoral consequences. For the members in the '70s versus yep. now, very different. Well, also and also the, pol- and also the polarization. I mean, in the '70s, there were well, that's why, right, That's there, why. Right. The there were there were
1: moderate Republicans in the '70s who were to the left of conservative Democrats. Yeah, that's just not true
0: anymore. No, I know it's very the great right. the great sort. Um, so, so, but, but got, then we, it gets even more interesting because of how Rosenstein responded. Right. So Rosenstein's response, which by the
1: so Rosenstein had, I think. um three choices, right? Uh, Or, well, he had two choices and he took the third one. This is what I love to teach, uh, what we teach our our students, right? There's always another another path. Right. So the two obvious choices were to say yes or to say no. Um, Right? And Rosenstein said, eh. Right. So so say yes would be bad because it would basically be like, hey, sure, Mr. President, you can yeah. tell us whoever you want. Saying no would be, you know, okay, you're fired. Right. right. So Rosenstein says, we'll just do yes, Mr. President, we hear you and we'll do the same thing with this concern of yours that we did with your concern about the Carter Page FISA warrant.
0: We'll send it to the inspector general. Which I think is actually a pretty inspired solution. Of because it's it, it's it's impossible for the White House to say they've been blown off. It's a face saving solution it's in pretty safe hands i think everyone respects the ig it just and just not well well, too worried. well yeah, yeah.
1: you say everyone respects the ig i mean so this is the question so yes in the moment this is the perfectly deflating diffusing move by rosenstein i mean it's it's you know um, it's so obvious that you wonder why it wasn't obvious this was always going to be what happened the million dollar question is will the pre- when the ig comes back
0: oh yeah no no when i say everyone respects the ig i mean the ig is a pro that you and i would think when I say everyone, I say you and I. <laughs> but but that's the mean, the you and I are not everyone. But, but obviously, look, in the end, in the final analysis, if and when someone does anything at any level yeah. that goes contrary to the president's perceived interest on these legitimacy issues, of course he's going to take a flamethrower to that person. Right, but
1: then the question is what – so if the president goes after the inspector – imagine a scenario where the inspector general comes back and says the FISA application for Carter Page was by the book and the use of a counterintelligence – Informant, it's run of the mill, was perfectly within yeah. the normal yeah. scope of a counterintelligence investigation. Yeah. Imagine what if that's what do? the IG yeah. says. If the president then says this is a witch hunt, this is BS, and fires everybody, right?
0: Hello, Congress. What are you going to do about we'll see. it? See, maybe that'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm not. I'm not I think my that also uh, to quote Ben Wittes, uh, who who's repeatedly said this recently. The president is a wuss on a certain dimension. Right? Yes. He 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 talks well, a no, tough he's game. He's a bully was a bully and like a lot of bullies when when actually confronted and uh, by he something stands serious down. stands down. That's right. um, and so if there's anything in that eventual exonerating inspector general's report that that can be seized upon out of context or otherwise right. yeah, will seize upon it and just like in trade negotiations yep. he'll just declare victory and go home. All right, so this is a National Security Law podcast and we we, we haven't talked a lot about National Security Law in the last month but few minutes, we've got one here but right a twist, because right? the inf- the the identity of the person yes. that they're trying to expose is yes. protected by law. It's protected by the Intelligence
1: Identities Protection Act of 1982. Now, I will say, I got into all kinds of trouble on Twitter over the weekend for having the temerity to remind people about the Intelligence Identities Protection Act. IPA. not AIPA. Not AIPA, IPA. So let me just read what is today 50 U.S.C. section 3121B. Bobby, tells me tell me if it sounds familiar. Hmm. Whoever, as a result of having authorized access to classified information... Learns the identity of a covert agent and intentionally discloses any information identifying such covert agent to any individual not authorized to receive classified information, knowing that the information disclosed so identifies the agent and that the U.S. is taking affirmative measures to conceal such agent's intelligence relationship to the United States, shall be fined fine, under Title 18 or imprisoned for not more than 10 years or both.
0: Mm, sounds sounds challenging.
1: Now, of course, all of these Twitter experts wrote back at me and said. Um, this guy's not an intelligence agent. Well, ah, it
0: goes on to define it, doesn't it? It
1: really does. So, a United States citizen whose intelligence relationship to the United States is classified information, and I'm just going to skip the, the non-applicable subcategories. Who is, at the time of the disclosure, acting as an agent of or informant to Ooh. the foreign counterintelligence or foreign counterterrorism components of the FBI. And
0: it also includes non-U.S. persons, right? It's not limited to just U.S. Indeed, persons. but I was yeah. but I was just going. Um, yeah. I was going right to the, the right. Meet. The, the meat being, you don't have to have you don't have to work. You don't have for to be a government. CIA officer. No, you can be a regular old informant. Informants are protected if well, you, the if, informant if, relationship is classified for foreign intelligence purposes.
1: And if the, and if you're and if you're not just an ordinary criminal informant, if you're a counterintelligence informant, right? Okay, um, someone. Right. I have my idea. I have my suspicion about who someone violated the statute because even though the right wing media has been clamoring, the, the right wing media has been clamoring for weeks. Right. To try to build up this narrative about this Cambridge professor.
0: Um, They got that from somewhere. Right. There's a story that dropped, I think, uh, maybe back on May 5th was the earliest that the name was being used. So the, this person's been named. Right. Right. Um, and the name's all over the place. Well, who was the source that revealed the name?
1: Right. So, so all the people on Twitter are like, "You dummy! No one can be guilty of it leaking." You know, the New York Times has
0: it. Go blame them. I'm like, well, but how did the New York Times get it? No, this is the old question. Like, so somebody leaked the identity. This is sort of like Valerie Plame, right? right. Somebody leaked the identity of of a person whose relationship that was leaked was protected by this statute. But also,
1: and where the whole purpose seems to be to try to sort of create some kind of gray area around the propriety, we're we're back to this whole underlying claim Right, that the foreign counterintelligence investigation into allegations of Russian interference in the election was just a scam by right. the
0: Obama administration to but, sink the Trump campaign. But before we leave the, the legalities of IPA, so is it, here's one thing I actually don't know. At the time that the person at issue was providing information back to FBI, was this clearly in the context of FBI's counterintelligence and foreign intelligence missions as an intelligence agency, mm. Or had it crossed to law enforcement? Or was it initially, or was it primarily law enforcement? Yeah. Because, because I don't think the statute, the IPA doesn't protect law enforcement no, it confidential informants. It, it protects the foreign intelligence counterintelligence. Function. Do you know who would be
1: in a really good position to find out the answer to that question? The president of the United States, or the congressional intelligence committees. Mm. And, indeed, uh, speaking of the congressional intelligence committees, the New York Times also had a story over the weekend about how Eric Prince clearly perjured himself back in November in testimony before the, foreign, the House Intelligence Committee. I'm sure the House Intelligence Committee is going to be in a well, of a hurry to look at right that. on that. Look so, right on. So
0: t- I'll, I'll get right on top of that, Rose. So I guess my, my view is that uh, your point about there being an underlying violation of a statute seems clearly correct. Subject to the caveat that there's this question of what was the status of the investigation, because as is lost on some people out there in Twitter land, but right. it's very familiar to us. Right. Um, there is a huge and important categorical distinction, though it blurs. Nonetheless, there's law enforcement investigation, which is one thing. Yep. And then there's intelligence investigation, which is a very different other thing.
1: I just have to say, I mean, I find this all so depressing that the narrative that this is all a big scam is gaining steam.
0: I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, it, what, what is- it is gaining
1: m- steam? I mean- it I mean, seems I know, to be. Well,
0: I just wonder, if, or, or is it just that the same community that yeah. supports the president that's been trying to buttress his flank against this whole problem all along, are they just talking about it a lot right I now? I see
1: fewer and fewer members of Congress speaking out against it, right? And and what is more plausible
0: at this but point? There's got to be some polling data. I yeah. re- genuinely like to see, is the needle moving appreciably? I don't know. Or does that needle just follow the economy? And Maybe. When it's up, yeah. people support the president. I know, and by it, the way, the tariffs are now suspended. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, victory. So, but I mean, just I, I just I really want
1: folks to. Tell, what is more plausible at this point that the FBI was engaged in some massive conspiracy to sabotage the Trump campaign, but screwed up? And Comey, the last week before the election, got it backwards by actually undermining <laughs> Hillary's that's, campaign. That's why the president had right? to fire him, right?
0: Because um, he failed, right? He <laughs> he failed is, that, is
1: that plausible, or is it plausible that the FBI was conducting a counterintelligence investigation? They followed it wherever yeah. it went, and oh, by the way, they actually had reason to bl- look at all the. I mean, there's so much stuff
0: that this any This is when I wish officer, this is a TV show so people could see how how unhappy as you are at this why moment why does
1: anyone in their right mind actually believe that a neutral FBI agent looking at all of the circumstantial evidence about contacts between the campaign and the russians as part of a broader investigation into russian efforts to interfere with the election wouldn't have been curious well. and wouldn't have said huh i wonder if i should investigate this further
0: my lack of joining you in in getting worked up about it has means no disagreement it just means it's just so obvious to me that there are communities that are not trying to engage in reasonable in in discussion and and it drives here. me nuts and, as you know
1: yeah all right. I know. Um, speaking of, of, un, of not trying to engage in reasonable analysis and discussion—
0: That's I, right. Let's I, let's show we really don't know anything about anything No, no, no. Before, no, before we get to one hit oh, wonders— there's more?
1: There's one more. There's one more footnote from Trump. Yeah, what else is there? Um, the absolute botching of the VA secretary. Oh,
0: <laughs> this, that, this is great. I love this one. So yeah. the
1: president thought he was being all cute and clever late last week when at a press con—or not press conference at some public—he doesn't do press conference anymore—at some kind of public event. Um, He surprised the acting VA secretary, acting Secretary Wilkie, by saying, guess what? I'm nominating you to be the real VA secretary, since that whole Ronnie Jackson thing didn't work out so well. Mm -hmm. Small problem... The president apparently is unaware of the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998. That old chestnut. Now why is that old chestnut an obstacle for Mr. Wilkie? Because one of the things that the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998 forbids is basically installing a de facto uh, uh, permanent office holder by first making them acting and then confirming them. So under the Vacancies Reform Act, you cannot be confirmed to the permanent position if you've been serving as the acting position, uh, if you've held the position on an acting basis and you were not previously the first in line, the first assistant for 90 days
0: or more. And this is a good government rule that helps avoid the incumbency effect that presidents could otherwise get to grease the wheels for confirmation by having somebody serve for a long period as the acting. And then it just seems like, ah, yeah, I guess we might as well confirm. Right.
1: So the moment the president sends Wilkie's name to Congress, he is barred by statute from continuing to serve as the acting VA secretary. Is, oh is that how it works yes. that he well because I would have thought that the point was you can't be confirmed. But the problem is then you're interfering with the president's appointments clause power, right? So so I think to avoid constitutional problems, the way the statute works is it's – I mean
0: <laughs> – Yeah, right. right. So like, oh, so you can be confirmed. We're, we're back to the second office trumping but the it, first. But Where it, have I heard that before? Right. So it bumps you out of eh, – so it's all tied up in Dalmazi somehow. You
1: said it, not me. Yeah, By yeah. the way, another week still, no Dalmazi.
0: I mean, no nothing. Um, Next well, week's
1: going to be big, I Okay, not – no. I mean, come on now. You and I probably disagree about the, the sort of – the. The, the arbitration decision from yesterday, but it's a huge decision. I
0: have barely any knowledge of it. I confess right. I just, that's pretty just, far outside it's my wheelhouse. It, it sure ain't nothing. I, I, I heard it was a thing. I will, at some point, do my due diligence and All read right. it. Um, but but, but I'm, yes. way, I'm way more interested in some of these other fun topics so, we have to discuss. So anyway,
1: so the, so the White House totally bungled the Vacancies Reform Act. Good job, everybody. Classic. Um, although, ironically, it'll probably moot the lawsuit that was challenging whether
0: Wilkie was properly appointed as acting secretary <laughs> in the first place. Layers upon layers. It's like multi-layer dips everywhere in the White House. Um,
1: and just quickly on the Supreme Court, it is worth noting that we are going to get to Memorial Day
0: with only thirty-two, uh, sorry,
1: with with yes, thirty-two of the sixty-three
0: uh, argued cases still outstanding. That's more than half. So you're you're like the CNN Supreme Court commentator That's guy, but you also have a baby coming. True. Are we heading towards this like kind of a logjam situation where you need to be focused on things other than work, but then suddenly like every day there's four or five important opinions? A so day?
1: here's the problem: the actual day that baby girl Vladek number two is scheduled to come is Monday, June eighteenth. Um, and I'll I will say yeah, it's not just there's not just a day, there's a time, which I think communicates yeah, yeah. Inform, relevant information. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the time overlaps with when the Supreme Court will be decisions. So Who's my, your deputy for this?
0: You you got it you got it Uh
1: Josh Gelzer from Georgetown Law School. Oh that'd be great. Yeah, Josh so Josh Josh is actually standing in as the He's your the, understudy? As my I love understudy. It. On oh, June 18th, which by the way, of course, means that Dalmazi will come down on June 18th. Of course, in somebody else Yeah, it's probably for the best. Somebody else
0: comments <laughs> on that one. Although that'll make for some good TV to no, watch No, your I face. can
1: tell I can tell you how the call would go, right? The first decision is Dalmazi. Do we care about this one? No. No. Move on. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. We promised actual planned like coordinated frivolity and friends, it's time. I'm excited about this one. One hit wonders. One hit wonders. Which we are sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Did we even have one hit, Steve? I'm not
0: so sure.
1: All right, so so you want to have it define the category.
0: It's my favorite part is defining the category. But then I want to get into actual one hits. So I think there's a couple of questions here. First of all, so we got a lot of great feedback. So listeners, that was awesome. Well done. Uh, I have a feeling there will be a lot of commentary that follows and that's (laughs) awesome too because I've decided you just can never have enough discussion of what one- This category ha- is inexhaustible because they're so, I mean, let's face it, a good chunk of the hits overall are one-hit, yeah. they're one-hit wonders. Indeed. Now, here's a question. So this was brought on by someone's nomination of Twisted Sister, uh, we're not going to take it, as a one-hit wonder. And my immediate reaction was, one hit. Now setting aside uh, for everybody we named, there will be aficionados of yes. the particular band that say yes. they got tons of great songs. Yes, they have a greatest hits album. I think if we can think of multiple songs from the band, it doesn't count. Well, so this is where it gets interesting, right? So I immediately thought, what about "I Want to Rock"? Right, that song in the video in right. particular, right. so good. And so I started thinking, all right, okay, so. In a lot of these cases, there's a second identifiable song that yes. you know. Yes. What is it that qualifies? First of all, is there a bright line rule? If yes. you have a second hit, yes. you're out.
1: Yes. Right. So, so someone someone nominated Sean Mullins um, online, right, right, right. for for um, Lullaby, right, and I push back with Shimmer.
0: Which okay. is actually his better song. So Lullaby was the more popular one. Right. I actually don't know Shimmer, but I know Lullaby. And so that's a good point. If you're a two-hit wonder, we have a separate award ceremony, a separate episode later on. Whereas
1: I have no idea, for example, of any other songs that the Proclaimers
0: ever sang. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to them. Now, I think Twisted Sister with I Want to Rock, that's clearly one hit. And, yeah. it, and it got pretty high up the charts. Not that high, but pretty high. Um, sorry, uh, we're not going to take it. got pretty yeah, yeah, high. yeah. I Wanna Rock peaked, it turns out, on the Billboard chart, Uh 68. And That's and, a hit. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, that's a hit. That's you know, I'm sorry. You're okay, out. But they're out. out. I, I would draw the line differently. Oh my God, I've been overruled. So here's the thing. If you have a song wherever the line is, or yeah. the second song. Is is in the top 100 at any point? No, listen to me. What I'm saying is there's a line you draw, wherever you want to draw the line. Let's make it 100. Make it 150. Wherever you want to draw the line, there's going to be some song that's just outside that range, but that measured by other things, such as was it in heavy rotation on MTV? Did it end up having some kind of cultural relevance? Do you just know it and love it? So we're met with a clash between formalism and functionalism. <laughs> you can be formalistic, and you could pick a spot on the chart of your preference, billboard I, or otherwise. Well, let's 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 go
1: and let's see how many of these bands actually come anywhere close to running into the because oftentimes formalism and functionalism will actually end you up in the
0: same place. Oftentimes it's overlapping consensus, but I just want to put down my flag saying I'm a functionalist on this. It's all great to tell me what the chart topper, the chart number was. I have a gut sense. It's like obscenity. You know it when you see have it. Have you ever played the game Botticelli? No, I've never so, heard of this. So, Botticelli is a game. It's, about, it's 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 a
1: game that's like largely about sort of you know who do you know? Like what kind of people? Like and how much do you know? And and one of the rules is like you can't. Um, if you're in a group, if you're in a group, like it's, it's like a road trip game where you're in a van with people, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and one of the rules is um, at least two people other than
0: the person who's on the spot have to, to know the answer. Yeah, that's a good way. That's so right? that's still functional, but it's got to be a shared right. functional sense. Right. Okay, I do think that MTV has a big influence on this because if they you've do. got my sort of Gen X MTV influence sensibilities about yes. what was a hit, yes. if it was in heavy rotation, even if it was, you know, uh, the song Fish Heads, well, that might be a hit because it was on for some obscure right. reason right. a lot. All right, so I have a top ten and a bottom five. How do you – what do you – How, how you do you do – uh, One last definitional question. What's the difference between the good ones and the bad ones? Total subjectivity, right? Just like do the they make one, you Does the, it make you cringe or do you actually right. get joy The good from
1: ones it? are songs that when I come on, I turn my radio up, right? And the yeah. bad ones, when they come on, I'm like, oh,
0: God. See, I – for me, like, there's some bad ones. There's one I'll, I'll identify as a bad one that I, I will, if I'm by myself, I'll probably turn it up. <laughs> might even sing along, but it's, it, I nonetheless cringe and I'm embarrassed. And I wouldn't want someone to think I liked it. All
1: right, well, fair enough. Okay. So, so how do you want to do this? Should I just okay. go? Should I just go? All well, let's top? just let's trade some. Yeah. Okay. So my top ten in order, right? Okay. Or are yours not ranked? Not ranked. I just have a long list. How how many songs? You can't have like every to, every one that's uh, wondering in the history I, of the I world. I think it's about ten. Okay. So, um, the number 10 on my list is actually a song that's a one-hit wonder, totally because of television. I'll be there for you, the Rembrandts.
0: Oh, thank you, friends, for making it a hit. Um, Now, I actually know
1: the Rembrandts'
0: second, I think, best-known song, My Own Way, but there's no No, scenario in which that's going to count. Yeah, I think that's a total... It doesn't matter how it got popular. You've nailed that one. Um, Interesting fact... uh, me and Orrin Kerr and a, and a few other folks who probably would be known in the national security community, who were all in law school together in our uh, the drama society musical parody and we were two L's, uh, included a, uh, a song where I play guitar and sang different words to that song mm. um, about lonely life at law school. <laughs> and that, that's enough of that. I don't think it's recorded anywhere. Thank God. All right, Bobby, what's, what's one of yours? Okay, so uh, I think we actually, I'm going to mention a few things to just clear the decks of the <laughs> obvious ones. We already talked last week about Come on Eileen. As that's like, on my list. That's like the consensus. That's number four that's for the me. the paradigm. Okay.
1: Come on Eileen is number four. Take on me is number five. Nice. I have I have take on me as well. Um, a those lot are of, like the two like of of the '80s one hit wonders, like right? very iconic. Those two, and then also on my list um, at number seven, uh, "Video Killed the Radio Star." Yep. Also right? on
0: my list. Those the, are like, the
1: Buggles. Those are to me like and '99 Love Balloons we talked about already, which is number eight for me. Yeah. Those are like to me the big four '80s one hit wonders.
0: The, here I'll throw out a few that are also kind of iconic. Uh, eight six seven five three zero nine. Yep, yep. That was oh, that was uh, that was on my consideration. Yeah. Old Tommy Two Tone. Yep. Um, uh, I could be wrong. and Maybe Modern English had other hits, but "Mel With You was, yep. was a Titanic yep. hit, still in heavy rotation. Although Broker has kind of ruined it for me. Oh, have they used it? Oh, yeah. Jerks. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> how about uh, sort of a similar theme song, really popularized because it uh, is used really well at the end of Weird Science, Tenderness by General Public. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So is that enough of a hit to be a wonder? Oh, I think wonder? so, yeah. Okay. Well, look,
0: remember, I'm a functionalist. That song is definitely hit in my mind. Okay.
1: I feel like, like the criteria to be a one-hit wonder is you have to be more than just a hit. You have to be like a real, like, transgender generational hit.
0: Uh, I think Tinderness is, is, is pretty – I think especially because you get the movie
1: boost. All right, so here are the songs I haven't mentioned yet, which are, I think, more of modern vintage. Um, this, this guy is back in back – in, 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 well, not the news, but he's back on our radar because of this commercial. Um, Lou Bega. Mambo number five. Wait, is that on your good list? That is on my good list because I have such memories from college of like parties where Mama number five was playing. Oh my God. That is so on my other list. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, That's on your other list. Um, What is love? How do I? Uh, Wait,
0: what is love? What is love? What is love? That's a solid bad list one for me. Okay. I thought you meant What is Love uh, Anyways by Howard Jones. Well, it was also that but he right. but he had a lot of hits. But here are my top two, okay? I actually think one of
1: the all time one hit wonders, at least for my generation, which as we know is younger than your generation, it um in. Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. On your good list. On oh, my good list. super on my bad
0: list. No! Yes! It is like an
1: iconic song I for people who went down. to college in the late 1990s. Fair enough. Um, or and, so I hear. All right. But actually, By the way, there's
0: a great Simpsons clip where Homer changes the words. I know. It's pretty great. All
1: right. But my number one is actually maybe a little bit off kilter, but it's it, this was a song that for various reasons was really important to me in high school. What's up for non-blondes?
0: Yeah, that was definitely one hit wonder. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, it's kind of hey, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna say. It. Was it. that that's what's going?
1: What's on? going? But it's, but the song is what's up, yeah. not what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Twenty five years up. and my life is yeah,
0: still yeah, yeah. yeah. That trying was, to get up that gripping heel hill of hope. That's very '90s. Yep. Um, I really kind of stayed. In I'm 80s. very '90s. You are very. I'm very. I'm very Gen X, is what I am, and proud of it. Uh, my Sharona. Mm. By the knack. that the was NAC. nominated by several. Yes. and it absolutely deserved totally. it. Totally. Um, here's here's a, a very kind of '80s song, uh, Information Society's "What's on Your Mind." Yep. I wanna mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to know what you think. It's got the great uh, sample of Spock. Yeah, I still, I just
1: don't think that's enough of a hit to be one hit. One. Oh, what uh,
0: you had to be there. It I was a bit, it was on all the time. I wasn't. Um, slightly slightly more obscure, but definitely in my mind, functionally hits uh major tom by peter schilling hmm. like a really cool song still in pretty good rotation today well covered by a lot of people has it been I, i'm not sure i'm familiar with the covers but yeah. that not you know not the david bowie no, no, i know, I know. But, but sort of inspired yeah. by how about uh dear commissar by after the fire you are you are dating yourself my friend. I, i'm telling you these this are a all good, still this played is a good for good generational reason. test for our listeners like are you more of a bobby or a steve <laughs> that question has so many permutations. <laughs> uh, the vapors turning Japanese. Mm. I'm quite sure they didn't do anything else. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, safety dance probably belongs. Safety dance definitely also. It's got, got that same yeah. iconic Mets. Kung Fu with that fighting. Uh, ooh, I like that song a lot. Uh, big country yep. in a big country. Yep. And I think actually that exhausts my good list. Have you covered? All, you haven't said any of your bads. I haven't yet. done my
1: bad ones yet. Yeah, you've you've actually
0: occupied a lot of my bads What else have you got? All right. Um, my, my worst of the bads
1: is Mbop by Hanson. Yeah, totally. Right, right there. <laughs> um, although, I actually, I'm just going I'm to, I'm about to really embarrass myself. Hanson Hansen had another song that I actually kind of like. That I think it's a better song than Mbop. Okay, well, but, uh, check that out. Anyway, um, Blue by Eiffel 65. Mm, okay. I'm yeah. blue. Da, da, dee, da, da. Uh, that's pretty bad. Um, Ice Ice Baby.
0: There you go. <laughs> I'm out. You've covered my whole list. Um, the Macarena. Yeah. There, there is sort of like this novelty category. Yeah. There's certain songs like, like Pac-Man Fever. No, or- songs that once they get in my head, I'm really pissed off that they're in my head. Right? <laughs> yeah, Macarena. And so it's the last in that category is. is Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well played, well done. Um, I'm sure listeners are hearing this, thinking that you've missed so many obvious ones. Of course, and The we truth haven't. is, you couldn't begin to scratch the surface. But um, you've kind of gone with the '90s heavy list. I, I went, I went, the I went 80s. very '90s heavy. Let list. us know what the obvious misses are,
1: um, and and of course, I mean, I'm sure we've listeners who are sure, like, guys, there's something called the '60s. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Look, you can go backwards and forwards with this. Um, well, I don't know. It's, it's too early to know if we have one hit wonders today, but. Yeah, you're, you're prejudging it to a certain extent.
1: Um, so, Bobby, what are the chances? I mean, it's Memorial is coming up, right? We've even talked about recording maybe on Monday. What are the chances we make it to Monday without needing another episode?
0: Well, oh, I think it's going to be quiet the rest of the week. I think the Memorial Day will sort of start drawing the, uh, the legislators away. I think that um, we've, we've had a lot of churn lately. I'm predicting a quiet week. We may not have enough to talk about next Monday. Maybe we'll have to go Wednesday instead. I think think I'm I'm traveling Tuesday, so I can't talk then. Um, So I think we'll have relatively little between now and then. (sighs) Why do you say that? Because I'm trying to tempt fate to make it interesting. No. I did boring. All right. We'll see what we can do. All right. On that
1: note, Bobby is at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast. Um, We want to hear about all the one-hit wonders we missed. Um, and why I'm wrong that What's Up is one of the great songs
0: of the 1990s. Oh, and a topic. How about this for a topic for next week? Let's kind of stay with this Mm. theme. Um, Song, popular hits that have sort of a Cold War theme. Things that got at Cold War, you know, Reagan-era tensions, that sort of thing. There are a lot of songs under this category once you start thinking about it. You are such a Gen Xer. Yes, let's get back to that. Okay, the More, answer to one that... were so much better The that. answer to that whole
1: category is we didn't start the fire. The end. Good night. Yeah, go home. Yeah, that is not even on my list.
0: <laughs> um, all right, you really want to do that for next week? It's a possibility. All right. Let's see if we get some nominations. Readers make it happen. Listeners make it happen, Cold I mean. War,
1: Cold War-themed
0: yeah, if music. Yeah, so if somebody's listening thinking like, well, what counts? Like, anything about great power tensions in the Reagan era... <laughs> It's not specific or anything. There you go. All right. We'll see you soon. Stay safe out there. Adios.